wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I'm Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters 37 through 41 of The Eye of the World, book one of The Wheel of Time. Last time... Yeah, previously Rand and Matt learned that you never trust a skinny innkeeper. Just remember that. Yes. And uh, they also get to meet their very first dark friend. Well, their first confirmed dark friend, I guess? First dark friend. Luckily, a lightning bolt strikes and just kills the crap out of all the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it's just walking. Walking. Then, like, maybe a town for a little while. Another dark friend. Walking. Uh, You know, Matt acts like a dick. And then Rand starts getting sick and stuff. And uh, finally they get to Camelin, and then they get their, their next big quest node, which is nice, you know. The next quest giver. Yeah, and they learn about politics, and they hear that, uh, they heard more about Tom's backstory. Apparently he's, you know, an interesting character, which we all kind of suspected. Well, right? yeah, but who cares? Now he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Rand gets to meet his very first, o- first OGer, which is that, that loyal guy, who I'm a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, a real OG. Yeah, he's a real OG, <laughs> and he's a considerably better listener than Matt. It's true, mm-hmm. but, but everybody is. And that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, here we start with chapter 37, The Long Chase, which uh, the symbol is a sunburst, which is the symbol of the Children of the Light. The Inquisitors. Yeah. Is yeah, it they're... the Inquisitors specifically, or is it the it's... Children of the Light? Oh, they all have the, they all have the sunburst on their their chest, but you oh, mean like they're the allegorical? Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the Spanish Inquisition, yeah, that, like, they... just exists and sucks in this world. Exactly. Yeah, without any of the actual religious structures to support them, somehow like everyone just is okay with them, but going around torturing people, I guess. Yeah. Well, nobody likes them, but they just kind of let them be. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess they're they don't they're scared of them or something. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Everybody hates white cloaks. That's the, true. The more I see of the white cloaks, I think I feel the more I feel like some army needs to just go wipe them out because they are just a real pain in the ass. Right. Yeah, nobody would care. Like they'd be like, "Yeah, go kill them. That's great. We all hate them." The white cloaks would be like, "Oh, you're dark friends," and they'd be like, "Yeah, but we're gonna kill you anyway." <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, this chapter starts with uh, Nynaeve. It's a Nynaeve chapter, and she's holding the horses and thinking about how annoyed she is at having to hold the horses when she has a flashback. For why she has to hold the horses. I guess Robert Jordan's getting into this whole flashback thing. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. Like, it, it seems like there have been three or four chapters now that are told where all this stuff already happened and it's just told as like, oh, I remember this thing that happened like three page, three three days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point in time, so we've moved over from talking about Rand and Matt. Nynaeve is hanging out with more Rain and Lan, right? Yeah, and they're they're following they're following after the the one boy that Morian can still track. Yeah, because he still has the coin, even though we don't know which boy it is. Yeah. Okay. Although well, we do. We do, yeah. Like, has been, yeah. I think Moraine... Does Moraine know which... No, which she doesn't know. She just knows one of them has the coin, and that's who she can see. Right. Yeah, that happened because after they left Whitebridge, and Whitebridge was all burned and screwed up, thanks, Rand, uh, and the mirror draw, uh, they, they followed the Camelon Road for a while, and then they headed off north after the one boy they could find, uh, and they, they heading north, they come across a White Cloak camp. Which is probably that white cloak camp that Perrin was being tortured in last time we saw him. Yeah, it's kind of a good thing that he still has the coin because he's definitely not doing fantastic right now. Yeah, like, he needs some rescuing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's uh, Lan says there's about two hundred white cloaks there, and uh, and then Nynaeve is just like, "Well, are you going to go get him or what?" <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's becoming pretty obvious here that Nynaeve has some feelings for. For Lan. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote Wove next to one of them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's having a conversation with him, and she says, how are you going to free him? It was not until he glanced at her that she realized how much assurance there had been in her that he could march into the middle of 200 men and come back with the boy. 
Well, he is a warder. Some of the stories must be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is justifying her obsession with land to it, herself. In in Robert Jordan world, that's some pretty hot stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's a steamy. There's another one here where it's um, land. Land like puts his hand on her, and she's she says she's not certain she could pull what pull, pull loose if he did not want to release her. Anyway, he had very strong hands. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> what? Sexy. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I love me some strong hands. Yeah, I like I like hands that I can't pull away from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound a little rapey, doesn't it? I mean, Nynaeve seems to have a type. I mean, she she hasn't really been attracted to anyone else up to now, but Lan is like it. She's like laser focused on Lan. Well, I, I suspect that it's part of it is when you have, part of it's going to be because she is such a competent confident, bossy woman. She likes having a man who is can match her in competence or even can even best her at times, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's it. Even, yeah. Lan, even though Lan doesn't think about it, Nynaeve seems to treat a lot of the things with Lan as like a little competition. Like, oh, you know, I hope he can't find my horse. Or I think Lan is in on it. I think he's into it, and I think he's in on the competition, too. Oh, you think so? Because there, there was that little moment where... Yeah, where Nene's like, ha, he'll never find my horse. And Lan's like, I'm going to find her horse and show her that I can find a horse when I need to. So he seems competitive, too, although he's, of course, the impassive stony planes of his face and icy cold blue eyes don't show it. <laughs> oh, wait, are we already in the segment where Jeff talks about I got two. <laughs> I got two this time. <laughs> we'll be adding a regular segment where Jeff talks about his love for uh, Lan. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it'll come up naturally every time. <laughs> Sort of like the cannibal thing. <laughs> right, of course. So it's kind of a complicated relationship thing going on here. It's a little awkward almost because Moraine has very strong feelings for Lan, even though we've never mm. heard anything to suggest that it's romantic. But even at some point, at one point, Lan's going off into the darkness, uh, literal darkness, to go try and free whatever boy it is that's with the White Cloaks. And, it's, and Moraine tells him... You are part of the pattern, too, and I would not risk you any more than any of the others if the whole world were not at risk in these days. So, she definitely mm. cares very strongly for him, but I wasn't getting, like, a romantic vibe, I, Yeah, you? definitely don't think it's romantic between yeah. them. I think Moraine doesn't have a lot of people she can trust, and mm-hmm. so she really values Lan. Also, Lan is extremely cool. So she <laughs> I mean, who would be in love He's with He's the most him. badass, badass that would ever badass to never. <laughs> right, I, yeah. I am super curious about the relationship between Aes Sedai and Warders. I, yeah. I'm looking forward to learning more about that. We will learn more about that, for sure. Yeah. So there's a, this weird competition happens in this scene, but Lan uh, comes up with a plan that actually involves Nynaeve. Uh, Nynaeve is going to have to sneak in and cut all the horses, uh, the, the ties holding the White Clothes horses in place, which uh, he just sort of assumes she can do, right? Yeah, right. which is pretty cool. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, of course I can. I'm great at sneaking because I stalked rabbits with my father in my, my town back home. Which makes me ask, is stalking rabbits the same as, as avoiding armed men? Like sneaking into a military camp of armed men? I mean, I guess there's some overlap. Yeah, I can see that being comparable, because rabbits are very easy to startle, so mm-hmm. I imagine you have to be pretty stealthy there. I guess that's it, yeah. But rabbits don't patrol. Good stealth powers. Yeah, rabbits don't patrol. Rabbits aren't, like, well, I guess they are on the lookout. Well, in this book, it definitely is good preparation, because she very successfully does it. The, the, it's, it's suggested that maybe the White Cloaks aren't super good at paying attention to what's going on around <laughs> yeah, them. They, they, they walk like the eyes straight forward, not looking left or right, and like shout at each other. Yeah, I feel like Robert Jordan really does not like the White Cloaks at all. And he doesn't want us to like them. And I'm, and I'm curious 
if there's anything personal in his own personal biography behind that, why he despises these fundamentalists, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Yeah, somebody on Facebook uh, pointed out, uh, your friend, I think, mm-hmm. Micah, the, that the the White Cloaks are like McCarthyites. Mm-hmm. It's like the Red Scare. Yeah, they're always, they, they're sort of like gaining political power by by finding enemies everywhere. And where there aren't enemies, they create them. And that's that's definitely how they travel around in this world. Is they, they say, we're looking for dark friends. There's dark friends everywhere. And so it's... It, it, profits them to see dark friends and evil everywhere, so they do. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's probably what was informing Robert Jordan on this. And it turns out if you torture someone enough, they generally admit to being a dark friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't think McCarthy tortured people, but he yeah. did, like, have nasty hearings and stuff. Yeah. So Nynaeve is able to sneak up on these guys, these jerks who everybody hates, including the author, and cuts the lines of the horses. And I really liked this scene. I found it was, like, a good stealth scene. It was kind of tense. She yeah, she it, it's it's suspenseful and and she it's it's described very well. I think it she she it presents, you know, how you should deal with a situation like that. Yeah, this is, this is I think Robert Jordan at his, at his one of his best is cuz he he's really good at at putting together action and understanding how, how action scenes should work and and putting together putting them together with prose that 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 leads you forward paragraph to paragraph really quickly. It felt like a very human moment because she knew what she had to do and I I actually I, I know I've been on the pro naive side for a long time, even though there are some people here who may not be such a fan of her. <laughs> Wait, you like naive? Really? I, you know, I am. I'm getting more and more team naive all the time. I oh, think really? that was really cool. She knew. She knew what she had to do. She was scared to do it, but she, like she said at one point, I would do anything to help an Eamon's fielder. Like I think there's there's a lot to be said for that. That sense of duty towards mm-hmm. these people, especially because she's their wisdom. She's their healer, so she feels this responsibility that I think is really cool. Huh. It was good. So you're the founding member of Team Nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I might be the first person to actually like Nineteen. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's ever read the book. Yeah, well, and Lan. <laughs> yes, that's true. Lan is also on Team Nineteen, I believe. Yeah. So she's she's cutting the lines, and she notices that Bella is one of the horses, and she comes up with her own little variation on the plan. She's going to grab a couple horses, which is a good idea. That kind of should have been part of the plan, right? They need more horses. Yeah. yeah. How else are they going to get? How else would they get uh, Perrin and Egwene out of there, right? Yeah, yeah, but they don't know. But Moraine has no clue at this point that Egwene is there, does she? Yeah, no, true. that's that's a good point. Yeah, but they're yeah. still down a horse. Mm-hmm. True. I mean, you know, they'd have to either ride. Do- I think Lan even mentions it at one point. We'd be riding double when we're trying to escape two hundred white cloaks or something. Like that. I think it's what he says. Yeah. Um, so, so she, yeah, she sees a horse she recognizes, which uh, I think she takes to mean Egwene is there, which yeah. she is, uh, and she's she's. Uh, Done cutting uh, about done cutting up the horses when Moraine's distraction hits, which is the most amazing distraction. Like constant lightning and thunder, like for minutes, just bam, 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 striking their tents and setting things on fire. It's, and it's like more so than a distraction, cool. it's, mm-hmm. it, but it's overwhelming. It freaks everybody out. She which might of have just led with that, right? I mean, like if you can call down lightning, then you know. Yeah, that's... like here's the plan. I'm going to fry them all with lightning. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's a very hellish scene, really. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. Thunder smote her ears so hard she thought her knees would buckle as a jagged trident stabbed the ground just beyond the horses, splashing dirt and rocks like a fountain. The crash of riven earth fought the thunderstroke. The horses went mad, screaming and rearing. Another lightning bolt sliced down before the image of the first faded. I think that's a, that was a really cool, powerful description yeah. to me. And out of nowhere, if you're not expecting it, like Nynaeve wasn't expecting that to happen, so it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, and she, there's a rough situation because the horse she gets uh, pulled by two horses and mm-hmm. lifted off the ground, and you know. yeah, right. It's it's the chaos of the whole situation. Even though she knows something's going to happen, she's still caught up in it. 
Yeah, and then some wolves show up too. Yeah, and also for, yeah, just to make things for even no worse. reason explain to our character wolves come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which is crazy. But uh, so she grabs the horses and leaves, which is the smart thing to do at this point. Mm-hmm. That a short takes... chapter, but lots of action. Yeah, that takes us to chapter thirty-eight. Rescue. With the weirdest icon at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, that is uh, the the opposite of the dragon's fang. Which is the tear, right? The, the, it's, the, 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 it's the flame of Tarvalon. Oh, that's what it's Oh, okay, because I think that's the first the time. Sedai. We... Okay, how, that's how the first we... time we've seen it, right? It is might it... be, because we've I seen a lot of the dragon's fang, but I don't know if we've... It might be, yeah. So, Perrin and Egwene are tied up, and uh, they've been... He, Perrin thinks about how much it sucks to be dragged behind a horse during the day... And beaten up at night, which <laughs> yeah. definitely seems like it sucks. Unsurprisingly, being a white cloak prisoner doesn't seem to be fantastic. Yeah, it's really awful. They don't even treat them like humans. Like, and the thing is, is I get Perrin because they've already decided Perrin's a dark friend. But he said that Egwene might might receive clemency. You know, she might be. But they're still just like dragging her along. And I mean, yeah, maybe there's less beating for Egwene. But well, they don't have horses because Perrin's wolf brothers ate all the horses. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, so they don't have horses to carry them, but but they could definitely, uh, yeah, they could definitely do a more humane job. It, this, if I was seeing this, I would not think these people were the good guys, no matter how much they they talk about how they hate dark friends. And it's very suspenseful. It's almost like horror. He's imagining because they talk pretty graphically, like how awful it would be if he Perrin keeps worrying if he did trip over, he would yeah. just be fucked. He'd be dragged along behind the horses for forever, which yeah. is which I found very tense and very scary. Yeah, he said every step is like a, a risky chance that he's taking, and he yeah. has to concentrate, which sounds just horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is what the world's like outside the two rivers, parent. <laughs> yeah. And so this at this particular night, uh, Child Buyer comes and visits them. Child Buyer is the crazy psycho. Yeah. And he says, basically, you're slowing us down, so why don't I just make like you guys can just escape and I'll just give you this nice sharp rock you can cut yourselves free with and then we won't have time to chase you and then everybody wins. But it seems pretty obvious that, well, I mean, he doesn't say it, but Perrin yeah. suspects that he's just going to kill him as yeah. soon as they escape. Even Perrin, who is not stupid, he's just slow, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, immediately figures out, basically, wait a minute, he's just going to kill us. Because really? free. I guess I'm even slower than Perrin because I didn't get that at all. I thought that Perrin was just taking... I thought Byer was saying, oh, well, there's this super sharp rock right here that somebody Mm -hmm. could use to totally cut their binds and we wouldn't want to go after them. But I wasn't getting that Byer would murder them afterwards Well, that's what Perrin thinks. Yeah. Uh, Huh. Because Perrin is, you know, thinking about it and he thinks, oh, he'd probably just kill us. And uh, and your read is as valid as mine, but uh, my read was that that my my first read when Bayer came in there the very first time was he's going to kill him, because mm-hmm. you know, Bayer ha- hates excuse. Them. Yeah. 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 Okay. I I'm, I'm still not entirely convinced that Bayer's plan was to murder them versus just letting them go. But mm-hmm. I see what you're saying though, because he is a fanatic. Yeah, he doesn't value their lives at all. Yeah, and Perrin so, killed two of yeah. his his buddies. So. Mm-hmm. And we don't find out for sure here. No. Because right when the they're about to do whatever they're going to do, Byer's plan to either let them go or kill them. The, <laughs> the shadows gets, come alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first parent gets a message from the wolves that the uh-huh. help is coming. Oh, that's right. And then Lan shows up. And he's <laughs> the shadows. And the shadows come and do kung fu and beat up everybody in the room. Nice. Yeah, I can picture this scene. Like, you just, you know, you don't see anything, but you hear it's like, thunk, thunk, thunk. And then, like, 
the guy's gone. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. The other guy's gone. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of like a ninja. Yeah, Bayer gets a chance to actually see him coming and try and fight him, but but Lan doesn't even care. He like leans out of the way of the axe blow, like he didn't even notice it was there, and and bah, bah, punches Bayer with a, a series of blows too fast to see. <laughs> Pretty great. Yeah, and uh, takes him out. Takes him out really, really easily. Like it's not even a problem. Uh, but it's the reason he was able to travel in the dark. The shadows is because of his. Amazing invisible cloak, which makes him blend in with the shadows. And even when you know he's there, he's really hard to see. So, yeah, Lan is the darkness. The rescuing darkness. And then massive lightning and thunder freaks everybody out again. Which is, uh, yeah, which all the white cloaks run out and they're they're wondering what's going on because why wouldn't you? And Perrin and Egwene and Lan just put on some white cloaks and walk right out. That's the plan. Yeah, I mean... Are they, I guess there must be female white cloaks. So I don't think we've seen any yet, right? We haven't. But I it's... wouldn't think there would be. Yeah, well, wouldn't there, there have to be? I mean, do there have to be? I mean, they're they're essentially religious fanatics, and I don't think they those people tend to be big in terms of gender equality. Mm-hmm. I I haven't heard a white cloak say anything that would explain why they wouldn't have female white cloaks, but. Again, we haven't seen any, so maybe there aren't any. So, which makes me wonder why uh, Egwene wearing a white cloak counts. Well, know? it's because they're distracted. He even says, you know, some people were like shouted at them, "Hey, what are you doing?" But there was a continuous barrage of thunder and lightning <laughs> all around them, and their tents were on fire, and the horses were running away. So they didn't have time to investigate that short white cloak that looked strange. <laughs> and we get a pretty good hint too that Land feels very strongly about Nynaeve because Moraine points out Nynaeve still hasn't returned, mm-hmm. and he wants to go looking for her. And she says, no, you know, stay here. Some things are more important than others. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is actually a really interesting scene because it, it seems like Moraine is like ready to leave. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Lan is not obeying her. And it's the first time. But it's, it seems like it doesn't happen very often. No, not at all. Right, yeah. Yeah, the warder did not move and her voice hardened again. Remember your oaths, Aulan. I can't say it. Jeff and Dragoran? No, no, the full thing. <laughs> yeah, here, read, read, read his title for me there. <laughs> Remember your oaths, all land Mandragoran, Lord of the Seven Towers. What of the oath of a diademed battle lord of the Malkiri? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what any of that, that means, but it sounds awfully badass. It, it really badass. does. Yeah, that's a good name. But yeah, I mean, this, this it makes you wonder, you know, in the moment, if Lan had to choose between Moraine and, and Nynaeve, mm-hmm. he'd probably go with Moraine at this point, but... It's at least giving him pause. I think he totally would have to go with Moraine because he's a. I'm assuming he's a very honorable man mm-hmm. and he's sworn all these oaths. So yeah, I think it's a huge deal that he's not immediately following her order for probably. I, I think this is the first time we've seen that so far in this entire. Yeah, it hasn't book. happened at all in the book. Yeah, yeah, so this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. He, he's maybe offered like contrary advice, but Moraine's always like, "No, this is the thing we have to do," and he's like, "Okay." Yeah. Yeah. So Nynaeve does show up, though, and she's got these horses, and uh, Nynaeve and Lan have a little, like, glance moment, a significant Aww. reunion. <laughs> and uh, they, they head on out. And this is, uh, this is all from Perrin's perspective, and, and so Perrin notices when the wolves leave. And the wolves say, basically, wait, wait, what do they say? One day again. We're going to meet you again, and it'll be good, and it'll be bad, or whatever, because wolf thoughts are really complicated. <laughs> And so they, they make it, uh, they get a little bit of distance away, and they stop to rest for a little bit, when Nynaeve notices that there's something wrong with Perrin's eyes, what? Uh, and, and she starts, she's like, it's not yellow eye fever, or blah, 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 and she tries to heal him. But Moraine sees it, and she knows what's going on. Yeah. She's like, oh, this is just, 
this is weird. This is maybe this is part of the pattern. She doesn't say what's going on, but she's heard of it. Mm-hmm. There's also a moment where Nynaeve is um, using her ointments on Perrin, and they just work really, really well for no reason. Like all of a sudden, his oh, bruises yeah. go away, and like everything. You know, they, they don't make a big thing about it, but it's clear that Nynaeve is channeling if unintentionally. Yeah, she puts icy hot on him basically, because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's cold and hot at the same time. But and it just cures his bruises; they yeah. just go away, which I guess is a really good healer to have in your little town. Yeah, so go Nynaeve. Like, you let her put their stupid herbs on you because she's secretly using magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes her feel better about the magic yeah. they got her now. But yeah, Maureen knows about uh, Perrin's eyes, and, and Perrin's eyes are now wolfy because he's a wolf brother. And that's uh, that's now something that's obvious, right? Like, he's just like Elias now. Yep. And speaking of Elias, Lan knows Elias. Yeah. Lan, Elias Machiri, he recognizes the name. He, he knew him as a warder, and he says Elias taught him a lot about fighting and a lot about the blight. Yeah, Elias was like a, a warder who helped train him, I guess, something like that, right? Yeah, something like that, which explains why Elias knows so much about the Aes Sedai and doesn't like him very much. Yeah. So Perrin is kind of depressed. Uh, I don't know why, because this was like the best thing that's happened to him in a long time, getting I, rescued. I think that'd be pretty cool, too, to be find out you're part wolf or you've got wolf powers know, or something. Right? That's yeah. pretty awesome. He's like a teenage boy. When I was a teenage boy, if I had wolf powers, I would be so happy. <laughs> that's so cool. He's being like, really ungrateful about these like magic wolf powers he's gotten. Mm-hmm. I think he's definitely the one who is most resistant to any sort of change. He He's kind of the hobbit. He just wants to go back to <laughs> his village and do his thing. Yeah. I don't want to talk to wolves. I don't want to be a blacksmith. <laughs> but uh, Lan cheers him up with some, like, badass gallows humor. And he says, you know, well, maybe we'll all die. And then we'll just have to, you know... Go down fighting or something. I loved his little speech that he gave there, especially because Land doesn't talk that much, but I thought that this was really cool. Remember what Moraine today told you. In these times, many things are dissolving and breaking apart. Old barriers weaken, old walls crumble. The barriers between what is and what was, between what is and what will be. His voice turned grim. The walls of the Dark One's prison. This may be the end of an age. We may see a new age born before we die. Or perhaps it is the end of ages, the end of time itself, the end of the world. I loved that. That was so <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. So he's got his eyes open. He's like, yeah, this is, these are all the things that could be happening. And, and We're probably going to die. <laughs> he's yeah. got a touch of the poet in him. Yeah, he does. Well, he's the, a diademed battle lord of Malkyrie. <laughs> Which comes with po- poetic powers. I mean, usually he's pretty quiet. Yeah. yeah. So maybe he saves it up. Maybe he's been like composing this. He's like what? a silent Bob character, right? Where he's like quiet all the time, then suddenly yeah. like, say something profound. And the thing is, when he says that, this is what Robert Jordan starts and ends each book with, right? We've got this whole the wheel of time turns, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. There was an age and everything like that, which almost made me wonder, is Robert Jordan kind of land? Does he want to be land? Everyone wants to be land. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes when you when you read books or you watch TV shows, the uh, the writer of it is someone like I'm a huge fan of The West Wing, and I think Aaron Sorkin is very obviously the character Toby. So I was kind of wondering mm-hmm. if that's the case here. If Robert Jordan loves mm-hmm. land as much as you do, if possible, Jeff. <laughs> it's not. It's not my thing that he's so cool. <laughs> I, I don't know if Robert Jordan has a character that he's written himself into that I've seen so far. Not not like an exact thing, but yeah. someone who you feel a special affinity towards. Like J.K. Rowling and Hermione. Mm, I would say so far it's either either Lan... Like this speech I think is probably as close as we're going to come to Robert Jordan just speaking through a character. Yeah. Or Rand's father. Interesting. Why do you says, think that? 
Well, one of the first things he says, if you remember, is that, that wars is just where, where fools kill other fools. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a, kind of a weird thing for a farmer to say to his son. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a real kind of world-weary, cynical mm-hmm. thing. And, I, and that particular attitude, that wars keep happening, but wars are always awful, I think is an attitude that Robert Jordan has. Yeah, as a, as a veteran of, of mm-hmm. you know, Vietnam War. Yeah, and, his, and he's also, uh, he's a farmer, except despite being a farmer, he has a lot of books. He reads a lot of books, so he values education. He's very moralistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't, Rand's father doesn't do anything wrong in these books. Okay. Which even Land does. And that's interesting, too, because we don't know this for sure, but I feel like Lan is in some ways kind of the grizzled old veteran, too. You get, and I might just be confusing him with Aragorn, because in a lot of ways he is. You see, a, you see some parallels between I, Lan and Aragorn? Between Lan and Aragorn, yeah, just maybe one or two tiny, <laughs> tiny little ones. Yeah, but you know, Aragorn was really old, and he was he was tired. I You get the impression he was kind of tired of having to just be fighting all these fights, so... Yeah. Yeah, the sense of the grizzled veteran there who does yeah. what he has to do but doesn't necessarily enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So they, they're heading off to Camelin now. Yeah. Because that's where random matter is supposed to be. Which takes us to chapter 39, Weaving of the Web, with a picture of a lion rampant. Yeah, this is one of my favorite chapters in the books. This is really fun. So Rand... Yeah, a lot of cool stuff happens here. Yeah. Rand goes out into Camelin from the, from the inn... Uh, he can't get Matt to come with him because Matt is, like, literally curled up in his bed insulting people, <laughs> refusing to move. He's calling Loyal, this guy he never met, a Trolloc. He's like, oh, your Trolloc friend or whatever. Yeah, like, a jerk. He's like, a, it's an OGer, right? Who doesn't want to meet an OGer? Apparently not Matt. Apparently Matt. So Rand goes out and it's a, a festival because Loghain is coming to town. The, the procession to show the false dragon Loghain to the queen in Camelin. Is, is coming to town, and everybody's lining up along the parade route to go watch. And literally everybody. It's like the streets are empty. And Rand, of course, is not going to miss this. He, he wants to see Loghain, and he wants to see the Queen. Uh, but he we also learn that Rand has since learned what the white and red wrappings on everybody are, the white and red articles of clothing. That red means you're pro-Queen, and white means you're anti-Queen, basically. Right. Pro-white cloak, anti-Queen. Anti-queen, right? Well, sort of. I mean, the white cloaks support the 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 people who wear white, but I get the impression that the people who wear white don't necessarily like the white cloaks because no one really likes the white cloaks. Mm-hmm. But they just happen to to agree on the fact that I said I saw. Yeah, yeah, one of the reasons they're anti-queen is because the apparently the queen in Camelin, Queen Morgase, is very pro. Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. pro Tarvalon. She has an Aes Sedai advisor, and it's a tradition on the royal house to send their kids to Tarvalon for training, mm-hmm. whether they've got magical talent or not. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really bothering people because, as we've established, everybody in this world hates the Aes Sedai. So all these people wearing white are people that are angry at the queen, and they're not really revolutionaries, but it seems like it's kind of heading that direction. The city is like a powder keg with these different factions, and Rand, who randomly chose the red. Uh, rapper to put on the sword because <laughs> it was cheaper. Uh, is is a, is now a queen supporter to, for all intents and purposes. Even staying at the inn of Master Gill, the queen's blessing, he was a queen supporter. Yeah, he's like. There's a moment where he's like, I wonder if I had accidentally, if I had bought the white thing, if uh, Master Gill would have been so so happy to take me in. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. probably not, right? Yeah. This apparently is a big deal for these people. They care a lot about their politics. Yeah. And all these people, since it's mostly white-wrapped people in the town, it seems to Rand like 10 to 1, Rand is a little uncomfortable with all these crowds because the crowds 
it might get violent. There might be a riot. They might start, you know, hurting the the red wrapped people. But uh, but he doesn't care about that because he's going to see the the procession. Well, plus we find out there's a creepy beggar that's been asking around about him. Yeah, too. Master yeah. Gil says, "Oh, hey, someone's been asking about you. It's this crazy beggar guy." Yeah, just like what happened in Whitebridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Rand doesn't really have much time to think about that. Gollum. Yeah, Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. So Rand is like, "Yeah, I'm still going to go see the false dragon." I mean, I don't think you could miss that. Yeah, I mean, apparently this is just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Right? They were the most interesting thing ever. Oh, yeah, and there's a point where they say no one needs to beg in Camelon. Even a man under warrant can't be arrested while he's taking the Queen's bounty. So apparently there's, there's, there's no, there are no beggars in Camelon because the, there's like a built-in charity system or something? I think so, yeah. It's like a like a, a dole or a, a alms for the poor type situation. So in Camelon, it's especially weird that there's a beggar around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they, Rand finally finds the uh, the area where Loghain, the false dragon, is going to be shown to the queen. Uh, and he goes into the inner city to look around all this stuff. And the inner city is amazing. This fa- beautiful fantasy city built by the Ogier. And <laughs> it's like a... I don't know. What's the what's the answer? It's like, like the city was made and designed by Apple Corporation. <laughs> you know, because everything is just beautiful. And, like, it's everything seems hand-designed. You go over another rise and you get an interesting view. Yeah, every like, time you turn a corner, it's like, oh, a nice vista here. <laughs> yeah. So he's Rand is waiting there to to see the false dragon when the beggar finds him. This beggar that's been asking around, and he, he, the beggar makes his way through the crowd very easily because he's so disgusting, and he he, st- he starts like gibbering at Rand, and Rand runs away because uh, wouldn't you? Well, he find it's it's interesting how quickly he finds him because he's just, like he's scanning the crowd like he's like like I think he, it was like he's tracking him, and all of a sudden he just like looks right at him. It's mm-hmm. it's supernatural acuity. Yeah, if this is the same guy that followed them from Whitebridge. It definitely is supernatural, because how did that happen? So Rand books it, and he runs through some empty streets. He gets away from the crowds. Everybody in the city is there in the crowds to see. And so after getting lost in the inner city, he uh, starts looking for a a tall place. He can climb up to, like, a top of a building or something to see over the crowds. And uh, they're all packed. And so eventually, after he's feeling really bad, he thinks he's going to miss it, he climbs up this wall that he finds. Uh, Just, like, kind of a, a dirt embankment up to, like, a rough wall that's... It's rough enough to climb, but it's still like amazingly handcrafted by the Ogier. It's a really cool wall. It's made to look natural or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And he climbs up to the top of it, and he can see. And he sees the, the procession of the false dragon, which is really pretty cool. Uh, he can see that first, like, the, the, the Camelon army comes marching through, and they're all very, very martial with all their weapons held at exactly the right angle and, and turned out in their parade dress. And then the false dragon comes along on a massive wagon in a cage, and there are eight Aes Sedai sitting around, just like focusing on him, just looking at him as he stands there in this cage. He seems not actually like he's that worried about it. Yeah, it's he's every inch a king, as he as Rand puts it. I, I found this super creepy. Yeah? Yeah, Rand gets creeped out by how Loghain, he says Loghain was a king in every inch of him. He was dressed just like this normal guy, but when he looks over at people, people fall silent. I... So this man obviously has a lot of power. I thought it was creepy. He's very supernatural. He's intimidating, for sure. Yeah, and I think you see Robert Jordan's disdain for mob mentality there, too, because I feel like he's kind of make being very disdainful about the people in the crowd because the people fall silent when Loghain stares at him, but when Loghain's eyes leave them, they scream with redoubled fury as if to make up for their silence. But it made no difference. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's... 
kind of Tolkien-esque, actually. The idea of a, a kingly person, a great person who is just like a, a, in a different class, literally, than the, the normal people. Like the rowdy mob who don't, don't have any individualism and are kind of a, a dumb animal mm-hmm. and this great person that has come among them. Yeah, yeah. he'd be dressed like a yeah. peasant and still... Yeah. Clear that he's not. Mm-hmm. Which is not, that's not a concept that Robert Jordan uses very much at all. His people are, he, he really seems to believe that uh, everybody's kind of the same, you know, when you get down and talk to them. And it's just sort of a product of their environment to a certain extent. Yeah. But in this case, Loghain is special. Mm-hmm. So then there's some, the, in the procession come the armies of the other nations, but nobody cares about them because you know, who cares about the armies of other nations Wait, yeah. you don't care about the golden bees of Ilion? <laughs> the golden bees I assume they're wearing like wings you know they look like the bee girl from that blind melon video <laughs> <laughs> and they probably make a buzzing sound as they walk <laughs> 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 and so Rand uh, wonders aloud to himself what are the Aes Sedai doing when somebody behind him says uh, oh they're they're keeping him from touching the true source dummy uh, and that freaks him out, and he falls off the wall, and hits his head, and is unconscious. Well done, Rand. <laughs> yeah, nice. What a dumbass. Rand is really bad at girls. Yeah. <laughs> he is. So, chapter 40, The Web Titans. And there's a, a another flame, another flame of Tarvalon. So, Rand wakes with a head injury. The kind of head injury that, that knocks you completely out. Which so, is not good for you. Like, if you get knocked <laughs> unconscious, that's like... That's damage to your brain. Yeah, there's blood coming out of his head. Yeah, yeah. if I've learned anything from Archer, that's really bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, whatever. Because he's his head injury is, is being tended by a, a very pretty, very fancy girl and an equally fancy boy who climbed down out of a tree to tend him. Wait, wait. The very first thing that they describe about the girl, though, is... Oh, her cloak. Her cloak, <gasps> yeah. A blue velvet cloak lined with pale fur. <laughs> You're right. Oh my gosh, I missed that. That of is the course. very first thing they used to describe her. Yep. Because Rand is instinctively thinking like, well, what kind of person is this that I'm meeting? I better check out that cloak. <laughs> a deep blue velvet cloak lined with pale fur rests on her shoulders, its hood hanging down behind behind her waist with a cluster of silver bells at the peak. That's a nice cloak. That is a really nice cloak. That's mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of... Wait, the hood hangs down to yeah. her... To her waist, just a big hood. It's know? a really long hood. Didn't have to be because it didn't. You don't pull it all the way over necessarily. You just sort of. It could just have like a long hood trailing behind it. Oh, uh, the bells. The bells are a little weird. It made me think of a cat, uh, like a cat collar. <laughs> well, that way, I mean, <laughs> she can't sneak up on birds that way. Yeah, or or <laughs> you know, hide. They need to make sure they know where she is. <laughs> so she bandages him up with her silk scarf. And Rand is like, oh, don't use their silk scarf. And she's like, whatever, money means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, poor, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Rand's like, well, I mean, I'm sorry I fell into your garden and blood all over you, so why don't I just climb back over that wall? But she won't let him do it. And she just sort of assumes that he's going to obey her, and he's like, this is weird. This person, this really pretty girl is just assuming that I'm going to obey her. I don't get what's going on here. Because that's the way literally every woman in Robert Jordan's world acts. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but they also, like, they name drop a lot, right? And he doesn't catch on. Yeah, they, they like, introduce oh, you themselves know. As, as, well, they don't introduce themselves. They just no. refer to each other when they're, they're talking about him yeah. in front of him as Elaine and Gawain. And uh, and they they speak about how you know their mother, and they talk about Gareth Brine, the Lord Protector, just calling him Gareth. Uh, and they refer to all these people that live in the palace by their first name. Uh, and eventually, Rand figures out. <laughs> he well, he has to stop in what his lips, and then he asks, "Who is your mother?" That's how you want your lips. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Now that's what I picture every time. This is wet the list. Wait, who's your mother? <laughs> Look, it's not weird for them. It's a cultural <laughs> thing, okay? In their culture, wet li- <laughs> wetting your lips that way is okay. totally normal. So Rand is Rand is usually pretty slow on the uptake, but it's but and he also has brain injury at this point. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, we'll tick that one up. A bit, <laughs> yeah. So he finally says, "Wait a minute, who's your mother?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, Queen Morgase." Then these are, this is the daughter heir of Andor, the the princess, I guess, equivalent, and uh, her brother. The uh, did they give him his title? Uh, Gawain. He's the prince or something. Actually, it's important to note. I don't think he ever says princess. They say no. daughter heir over and over again. That's right. He does not say princess. Which is I'm curious about. Do you think it's that? Do you think that word just has connotations that that Robert George wants to avoid? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's pretty common in a lot of. It's just real history, like the the heir in France is called the Dauphin, for instance, mm-hmm. not the the prince or le prince or whatever. The, I don't know what the French is for prince. So he figures that out, and uh, he says, "Wow, I really got to go." <laughs> because this so be- I'm gonna just this get became- back to this wall now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. This just became one of those beheading situations. So <laughs> I'm gonna leave now, but she won't let him leave because. Uh, as Gawain explains, she's always finding wounded birds. <laughs> and now she found a wounded poor person. Not that I think you're a stray or anything, is what he says, I think. <laughs> yeah. Not that, I'm, not that I'm trying to say you're a stray, but, you know, that's what she does. Yeah. And they, uh, they're they they're having this kind of comedy of manners situation, the, the kind of comedy of manners that leads to poor people getting killed. And uh, Galad... Gawain's actually heard of Two Rivers. He talks about it a little bit. Yes, he, he has. He's... He, he mentions the two rivers, and that's that's interesting because very few people have ever heard of that. And it seemed like the two rivers is just kind of this back hole in the middle of nowhere, you know. But but I buy it though because it says he he knows it's part of his training. He has to know products and crafts and what the people are like. Mm-hmm. So it's a good it's a good explanation. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. Like his, his his cliff notes of of two rivers is like okay, tobacco, wool, and they're stubborn. I think that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. that does sound like it. Like he's studying for a test. Yeah. Uh, but we'll find the, the entire royal house of Andor seems to be very noble in in like the generic sense of the term. That they're very they're good. They're dutiful. They're they're moral. They're trying their best to do their job as leaders. They're not uh, tyrannical. Like, yeah, they're not bad leaders yeah. like like you might expect them to be, especially people that were raised as royals. So Galad, their half brother, comes on them. What's his full name though? Uh, is Galadrid Tamadrid or something? I mean, yeah, Galadrid Tamadrid, which totally sounds like a bad guy name. <laughs> like, you, like I found with Robert Jordan, you can usually tell when someone's going to be a bad guy or when someone's <laughs> going to do something mean because they have a name like Galadrid Tamadrid. Galadrid Tamadrid. Galadrid Tamadrid. Yeah, which sounds just, like a luckily bad guy. they just call him Galad, uh, and he finds them and and he says, "Well, I'm going to have to report him to the guards. Like he's a he's a scruffy, no good, poor person. He shouldn't be here." Yep. And they're like, oh, but we like him. He's our friend. And Glad's like, I don't care. We're going to keep him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Glad, they say that Glad is somebody who does the right thing even when he shouldn't. Hmm. wonder if that reminds us of anything else, like White Cloaks. Yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, But yeah. Elaine goes farther than that. She says she hates him. She says he is vile and full of envy. Because mm. he's that, their half-brother from Morghese's first husband, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So why doesn't why isn't he the son heir? Because Morghese is the queen, so... Well, she's, uh... No, he's he's the son of Morghese's first husband, but he's not the son of Morghese. He's from a previous marriage of Morghese's first husband. Yeah, he's not... He's not... And he's not... He's the half-brother on the non-royal side. 
Oh, yeah, he's not really the, the husband. So they share oh, yeah. a what? A father. A father. Oh, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's not Morghese's son. Okay, the father who's dead. Correct. Okay. Taran Gale Damadrid, right. who we learned about from that really knowledgeable Cartman. <laughs> the, the the guy who gave us the history of the royal family for whatever reason. <laughs> right. Well, they were just trying to sleep. <laughs> the chapter entitled Exposition. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he's... Uh, see, Gawain... Glad's an interesting case because Gawain says, no, 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 he's not envious. He's not bad. He's just always righteous all the time. And that's just as bad as being a bad person. Yeah, Robert Jordan doesn't seem to have a lot of patience for righteousness. Yeah. Self-righteousness. So anyway, Glad... They manage to, to stop Glad from stabbing Rand or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, but Glad goes off to get the guard, and the guards come, and the guards are really eager to kill Rand. I'd also like to point out how how much of cursing is a thing. I feel like it mm-hmm. feels like every single woman at some, that is in the series at some point curses like a like a stableman. <laughs> and then the guys around her are shocked yeah, by Oh it. my gosh. Yeah, oh. She said poop. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think literally every single gently born and or farm girl at some point has cursed. Yeah. Like a stableman. I think it's supposed to show their, uh, the, the innocence of, because it's the guys from Two Rivers who are always shocked by the cursing. So I think it just shows their innocence coming from this simpler life where mm. apparently women aren't supposed to curse or something. Right, or something. Yeah. So the guards really want to kill Rand. They've they've drawn their bows and they're about to just skewer him. But uh, yeah, saying, uh, I, want to, I want to read this quote real quick because it's kind of uh, Galadriel reported a dirty peasant skulking in the garden. So it's like, man, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> harsh. Uh, I mean, I, is he dirty? He's not dirty at this point. He just I mean, fell off a wall. He's covered in blood. I, 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 th- I think uh, he's just saying all pe- peasants are dirty. Uh, yeah, it's kind I mean, of messed up. I mean, it's not they? very nice. I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> Rand yeah. probably is. He just no. They they take baths, right? They take baths at all the ends, and they're like, "Oh boy, a bath." Well, there's some weird tension there, though, because this, gosh, I don't know, Talonver, Talonvor, yeah. a guy, uh, yeah, a guard like shows up, Talonvor, and says, "Lord Galad, Galad, Galadadrid reported a dirty, dirty peasant skulking in the gardens, armed and endangering." My lady Elaine and my lord Gowan. But then Elaine says, I don't think Elad said anything like that. He doesn't lie. Yeah, this this whole chapter, there's like a, a battle of wills between Talonvor and Elaine. Mm-hmm. Because Talonvor wants... I guess Elaine causes trouble in his view, and, and he wants her to be... Uh, I don't know. Agreeable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand why she's Talon... she's princess, right? Or the daughter heir, right? I was having trouble with Talonvor's motivation, because he didn't seem like he was... Because he, he he seems super eager to murder Rand essentially. <laughs> um, or, I think it's, I think it's supposed to be somewhat comedic, like he he's kind of a uptight rules lawyer guy. Oh, and okay. uh, and Elaine gets away with tweaking his nose, and and she she and Rand are supposed to be like clever and funny. Okay, and, and I think she's very young, and I maybe he doesn't appreciate that. You know, this this kid is able to order him around, even though he's you know mm. the captain of the guard, whatever whatever. His job is, I don't know. I feel like Robert Jordan does many things well. Humor is not necessarily one of them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the guards want to kill him, but Elaine and Gwen literally step in front of Rand to prevent them from shooting them immediately. So these guards are not messing around. And so after a bit of a little uh, word fight between Talonvor and Elaine, uh, they take the whole lot of them, Elaine, Gwen, and Rand, to go see Queen Morghese. And uh, on the way, Rand notices that the gardens are green and blooming and, and luscious, and there's flowers everywhere. And, and he mentions it, and Gwen's... Is it Gwen or Elaine? Gwen. Elaine. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, Elaine, wait, well, which thing? Cause Go, El- well, who tells him about Elida? Gawain. He says it's Elida's work. But the, the Elaine says that it's like, she's not okay with it when there's peasants starving outside. Yeah, and, why should everything be green? Yeah. yeah, he's surprised that things are green because the weather has gotten so shitty outside. It's like the classic wizard dilemma, right? Like we have, you know, in, in, in fantasy stories you have these wizards who have these magical palaces and they're, you know, but yeah. then the people are still living Yeah, in but there's still peasants around who, whose lives are awful, so why aren't the wizards helping them? Yeah. But they, they Elaine mentions, like, Elida... She said, well, why don't, why don't you just go and pick me the the one farm that I can do this to that would help it out? Because implying that that's all Elida has the ability to do is just one farm and that wouldn't do any good. And I think she's right. I think Elaine is being a little stupid there. I think she's being young and idealistic. Yeah. I, I, get, the, I get the point she's making, but I, I also... So... so if she were going to do to one farm what she's doing to this, that, that'd be one thing. But I feel like there's still some influence she could have. I mean, whether it's just like doing a change to the weather that wouldn't necessarily help one person a whole lot, but would help everyone a little bit. And that's stuff that we know Aes Sedai can do. Yeah, maybe some kind of irrigation scheme. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are there are things that she could do. I think she's being like a little bit, uh, you know, snooty about it. But Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So, well, we get to meet Elida. Uh, because they're taken to see Queen Morghese uh, and her advisor, Elida, and her other advisor, the, uh, what is it called, Lord Protector or something like that? Yeah. Gareth Brine. Even though, hold on, because we uh. have a, it was just a weird moment where Rand is, first he's shocked that everything's so green, and then he's shocked that he only saw one cat in the palace. Mm-hmm. Because he's thinking, you don't have rats, everybody has rats, and Gawain mutters, El- Elida doesn't like rats. But... That just seems like a really weird thing to notice. Oh, I've only seen one cat. Like, are, yeah, he, are you well, used to he just... notices that there's no cats because he saw a cat? Yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of weird. Like, are yeah. you are you used to palaces that just have a bunch of cats in them? Because if you are, that'd be freaking awesome. Well, <laughs> they don't really talk much about cats, though it's mentioned periodically that uh, cats are valuable because everyone has a rat problem right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and we know that the rats are like the, the symbol of the... The dark one. Sure, I so guess. So I suspect it's like a reference to the fact that Elida is like magically protecting the. Yeah, I think it's. Palace. I think it's his awkward way of, of of telling us that Elida is magically protecting rats from being in the palace. Okay. But I also think that this. Well, it might be that in this world, it's just assumed that there are cats everywhere, and everybody is used to cats being everywhere because there are rats everywhere, mm-hmm. and every every shopkeeper wants to keep rats around or cats around. But Rand never remarks on it in his thoughts because he just sees cats everywhere he goes. Okay. Yeah, there's okay. a couple points when, like, an innkeeper says something like, oh, you know, the cats are doing this thing. Or, um, you know, these cats are really valuable because they'll, you know, they're worth money because they're, they're good ratters or something like that. It's like two or three points and it's mentioned very, like, yeah. passing. Okay. I agree it's pretty awkward because, you know, he's being taken into a place maybe to get his head cut off and he's thinking, oh, there's no cats. Oh, there's only one cat here. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, there's... There are not no cats, but there are fewer cats than I expected. <laughs> yeah. In all my experience with palaces. <laughs> right. So they go in to meet uh, those people. They go in to meet Queen Morghese, Elida, and Gareth Brine. Uh, Elida Sedai is, is Queen Morghese's Aes Sedai advisor, and Gareth Brine is her general, I guess, her lord protector. And she's knitting. Yes. Very symbolic. Weaving. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Rand takes the time to comment that he'd probably, have, have, he'd, he'd probably hook it up with the queen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's well, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he does think, good. like, the first thing he thinks, Milf. other than the clothes. The clothes. <laughs> Milf, yeah. Yeah, pretty Quilf. much. Quilf. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, when he meets Elaine for the first time, he thinks, oh, she's so pretty. Uh, which, I, I mean, maybe she just happens to be super pretty, but... Doesn't he say something like, if, if she were in the Two Rivers, there'd be a line out the door for like... Oh, he says that about the queen, yeah, if she even was if a she widower. Could, even if she couldn't cook, and even if she couldn't get the, <laughs> yeah. the, the dirtiest house in the, or whatever, I was like, okay, well... Yeah, that's... And then he he does elaborate in his thoughts at length about how pretty Queen Morghese is. Yeah. But also, she's got sort of this air of power and control, uh, which is, is just seems to be natural to her, you know, even more pow- air of power than what Elaine had. The daughter heir, and uh, and yeah, that Queen Morgay is actually pretty awesome. You know, she seems. Yeah. I think she's probably supposed to be Queen Elizabeth, uh, like Queen Elizabeth. You know, she got red hair, uh, and she doesn't have a husband. Although in this in this book, she did have a husband. But it but it, it seems like but incredibly strong willed. Well, but this is a this is a matriarchy. Like it, the, it seems like it's tradition that there's a queen and then a the consort husband or something like that. Who's yeah, not, the, not the first prince or prince consort or something like that. Well, there's there's the the prince of sword, the sword prince or something first like prince that. Prince of the sword, which I is think. the brother of the queen, I think. Yeah. and then her, she has like her royal consort, which, which, is which like sounds a, like like make work. You know, we, yeah. need, we need something for the brother to do. So. Yeah. Oh, you're first prince of the sword or something. Yeah, you get you get to carry a sword. That's really it's a really nice sword. Yeah. Uh, so the queen Morghese owns the room, uh, and she basically chews out Elaine and Gawain. For because they were climbing up that tree to see Loghain, which they had been uh, forbidden to do to see him over the wall, and uh, we, we learned that they're going to Tarvalon soon to begin their training, and that's going to be sort of their punishment, I guess. But not not just their punishment. But she's like, we're going to make it really hard on you as your punishment, and uh, and Queen Morghese totally knows about the two rivers, and and she even says like, well, the two rivers, we haven't had any guardsmen or tax collectors there for several generations, so no wonder they haven't heard of us. Yep. You know, these people are not really our subjects, uh, even though they, they technically are. Which is that's kind of curious too, because if the best wool and tobacco comes out of the two rivers, why aren't they sending any tax collectors there? The, the, why do uh, the two rivers not even know that they're in this country? The implication is that the two rivers people. The, the, what I read is that the two rivers people are so stubborn. That it's just like more trouble than it's worth to try and collect taxes from them. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah, they. they uh, there's something she says about them not bowing to to anyone unless they earn it or something like that. So. Oh yeah, this this whole chapter there's this really what I thought kind of a forced romantic, uh, I don't know, interaction between Rand and Elaine. This princess that he just met. Yeah, who seems to, like, really have a thing for him. Because he's, yeah, he, he's totally into her. He's like, wow, she's so pretty. And then Gwyn is like, yeah, she should marry somebody from the Two Rivers. Somebody like you. Yeah. <laughs> because they're the only people that are stubborn enough to put up with her. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's, it, it felt very forced. It was like, okay, we get it. <laughs> yeah, we get it. You're yeah. setting up a romance here, fine. Right. Like, right away, right out of the gate. And here's the weird thing, because Rand is trying to convince the queen and everybody else that he's from the two rivers and Morghese buys it. And she says, I have, I, I've heard two rivers speech when I was young. You don't look like a, somebody from the two rivers, but you do have the two rivers on your tongue, which I thought mm. was super interesting. Yeah. So why do it seems like the two rivers keeps popping up um, right. in places where it shouldn't belong if it's just this backwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wonder what that story is there, who she knew from the Two Rivers. Yeah, she's heard the speech of the Two Rivers, how come nobody in the Two Rivers knows about her, yeah. the queen. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, we don't really get any more information about that, because Elida takes over the interaction, mm-hmm. uh, and comes up to Rand, and, and Rand tells a story, which is kind of true, right? 
Mostly true. Yeah. yeah. He leaves out the part about the Dark One being in his dreams and, and him being really important or whatever. But uh, Elida's like, nope, you're lying. This is bullshit. I hate you. And Rand thinks that she's like Moraine, but not nice. You know? Yeah. He, like, she's Moraine is like velvet wrapped around an iron fist and, and Elida is just an iron fist. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Elida seems to dislike him for no real reason at all. Right out of the gate. Yeah, immediately she doesn't like him. And she calls BS on him in front of everybody. And uh, She doesn't outright lie, but she de- definitely like toes the line a little bit, saying things like, oh, you know, you shouldn't trust this guy. He's going to make trouble for everyone, which is probably true. Yeah, technically true. Like, she doesn't ever lie. None of the Aes Sedai we've met have right? lied, because they, they don't, ever. But, but she definitely tells it as badly as she can, you know? Yeah, and there's this... And she's getting in his face, you know, and being really rude to him, and he's, you know, he's being upset. And then there's this awesome scene that I just love, where she's like, she notices that he has a heron mark sword by touching it. I guess she can feel the heron yeah. on his sword. <laughs> and, and everyone just like... <gasps> and everybody, she's like, he's got a heron mark sword, and everybody in the room freaks out. Like, all the, like, Gareth Bryan jumps in front of the queen, Gawain jumps in front of Elaine, <laughs> all the guardsmen, like, back away, getting space, and I even wrote it down. The, the guards are backing away from him to gain room, hands on their swords, prepared to draw, and from their faces, prepared to die. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we don't know what the Heronmark blade is, you know, yeah, in, we don't in really detail, know, yeah. but apparently everyone in that room is like, shit. You yeah, know? it's like, it's like he's a... A tiger or something that they just <laughs> let loose in the throne room, or, right? Or this this meeting room with the queen. Uh, so that's a big deal. That's a, another thing we don't know about Tamal Thor, right? He's got a. We this, still don't know why he has a hair mark blade. He, yeah, he, he didn't say much about it except that you know he he had that kind of what, what did he say? This this sword was cost me too much, you know, something like that. Yeah, he says, yeah, I paid way too much for it, and and paying anything for a sword isn't worth anything because war sucks, kids. Right. Uh, don't go to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, Elida points out that he's too young to have the Mark sword, but they're still all freaked out by it. Uh, and Elida does a capital F foretelling here, which is apparently a gift that she has, that some I said I have, uh, to, to foretell the future, uh, which, of course, is nice and cryptic because it would be too obvious. It would too, be too boring and undramatic if she could just, like, straightforward tell the, the, the story. But she says this this really... Uh, unpleasant uh, foretelling which is like everything sucks now but everything's gonna suck even worse in the future and then like under her breath where only Rand can hear it she says and it's gonna suck for the whole world and this guy's a big part of it this guy stands in the heart of it pain and division come to the whole world and this man stands at the heart of it yeah but she says that under her breath where no one can hear it but Rand so is that lying or not can Aes Sedai lie by just saying part of it so quietly no one can hear it? Can they just be like, not, right? Yeah. It? Did, did, what are the rules? Did Rand have to hear it? Well, she she had to, I don't know, she had to, she had to say it, but she didn't want everyone to hear it, so... Because, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a lie, it was... I think it, it's true information. It wasn't a lie, but the, if all you, if you were standing on the other side of the room, all you heard, I guess it's just an omission, right? Yeah. Except no, the queen commanded her. The queen commanded her to say everything, right? Just be straightforward with it. Well, I guess she doesn't have to do what she's commanded, right? Well, th- but then she says she actually says like <laughs> under her breath, right? And I have done as my queen commanded by saying all this. But yeah. she didn't. If you're the queen, you just got misled because you think she's telling you the whole foretelling, and she's not. I and mean, I guess that doesn't is not really a lie because she didn't say anything that wasn't true. 
Well, I think she did say something that wasn't true. She said, I did as my queen commands. Oh, maybe if you parse words. I don't know. It's, this is how I said I are. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because the part that she says quietly is the part that would have served her best in a way, right? Yeah. Because she says all this general stuff, and then the stuff that she says is, it's you. Yeah, is that this guy is the big part of it. I think that she wants him for her own purposes. I think that what I take away from that is Elida realizes that the, the other people in the room might, more gays at least, seem somewhat sympathetic towards Rand. Mm-hmm. Because Rand is very careful to lie about where he's staying and everything because he just wants to get away from Elida as quickly as he can. Yeah. So I'm getting the sense that she wants to go after him. She does. She, yeah. she even, even after Morgay's kind of rules on the situation, she still tries to, like, bend it so she can keep Rand. Yeah, she does. And it's very, it's very scary. Yeah. Like she's, she's a very intimidating person. Weren't we warned about this at some point? That the, that the witches of Tarvalon, the Aes Sedai, were going to want to take yeah. him for her own pur- their own purposes yeah, or something? Yeah, well, Alzamon said that. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but he may have been telling the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, and, he, yeah. And, and from what people seem to say about the Aes Sedai is they, they have their own purposes, you know? And uh, was it in this chapter or... Um, this is irrelevant, but I think Land says something like, there are a lot of factions in Tarvalon and they all want to do the right thing, but they disagree on what the right thing is. And those disagreements can get people killed. Mm-hmm. That's why they're so dangerous. Yeah, I think Land does... He says something like he, that. Yeah, he totally does. Yeah, uh, which is... You know, I think it was, in the last, harsh I think it was actually in the last chapter when Perrin is asking him about it, because um, Perrin says something like, oh, I've heard of the Red Aja, and he's like, well, you probably haven't heard the truth, and then he says, I think, something like that. Right. So, yeah, so, so that's Elida. Like, she's... Yeah, she's manipulating the situation. I think this is maybe the reason people don't like Aes Sedai is because they they're always trying to manipulate the 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 great and the great people of the world to achieve their ends. What color? And they're is not Elida bad wearing? people. I thought they said she was wearing green or something. She was wearing green. Oh yeah, they haven't said what Aja she is. Though, yeah, so well, is usually the way usually the way people dress is what Aja. Is. So it's it's like, true. Yeah, she's not a green Aja though. I don't yeah, think. but she's dressed up in green. Yeah. So, uh, the one cool thing here is Elida and the guards and Gareth Bryan and everybody say, basically, we don't know what's up with this guy. We can't prove that he's a bad guy. Let's just throw him in the dungeon for a couple weeks and then let him out when the daughter heir and the prince are gone. The, the prince, what, the daughter heir and the, and Gawain. The sword prince, whatever. Yeah, the sword prince are gone. Uh, and then we know that he can't do them any harm. But Morgays actually says, no, that's wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. We don't have any reason to believe that his story is false. Uh, a lot of the things that he says is checked out. He's got the right accent. So I'm going to be a just person, and I'm not going to lock him up just for making a mistake. Which is really cool. She yeah. seems very stand-up. Yeah. yeah, she's got no reason to do that, because there's nothing Rand could do to her if she decided to just throw him in the dungeons. She's got yeah. all the power here. Yeah, everyone seems to be implying that like spending two weeks in the dungeons wouldn't be that big a deal, but that sounds like pretty horrible. Yeah, right? No, no, it's just two weeks in the, in the dungeons. Every man. medieval dungeon I've ever heard about, you wouldn't want to spend two minutes in it. Yeah, so either their dungeons are pretty palatial, or you know, they're <laughs> yeah. really yeah. underplaying Maybe how those horrible. were the gardens that he fell into. Those are the dungeon gardens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, yeah, so they, so Rand is, is out. Like, the queen let him go, and she showed clemency. Great. Uh, so she gets let out, and Elaine and Gawain go with them, and at the gate, he has another awkward conversation with Elaine, where she says, I think you're handsome, and then leaves. Yeah. And uh, he's like, what? Yeah. Uh, and then we have a little bit more Rand angst. Yeah, because Gawain says... Uh, well, that's the reason everybody doesn't, everybody disbelieves you is because except for the way you're dressed and the way you sound, you look just like an Isleman. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. One of the Isle. 
tall, red hair, light skin. Yeah. Which okay, we don't know much about the island at this point, but we know that they're they're desert people, right? Mm-hmm. With super pale skin. Uh huh. Huh, that They're seems really... Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're going to get into that in the later books, but that... I remember when I was reading this for the first time, speaking as a pale person who sunburns very easily and avoids desert areas for that reason. <laughs> well, that's that's why I'm asking, because yeah. I'm a ginger with, with very pale skin. I was like, it does not compute that these desert people uh, who run around in the sun all the time are so pale. Uh, yeah, this like, is... Like, they would all be dead. Yeah. So Rand is having one of his... You're you're not my dad, but you are my dad. Moments again. Yeah, right. Randall yeah. Uh, Tamal Thor is my father, mm. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I don't care if I wasn't born in the two rivers. Yeah. I'm definitely, he's definitely my dad. You get it together, dude. You were adopted. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like everyone, everyone's telling you this. Everyone knows this. <laughs> yeah. Everyone except for you. Yeah. And, like and the the princess of your freaking country just told you, well, you're super handsome. So that's. That's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. I don't look like my father, but I am, like, tall and super handsome, so I mean, that that seems like a pretty good, I mean, not as good as, I guess, at least people I in this, At least people in these stories think gingers are handsome, you know? Oh. Right, yeah. Well, it's, it's a fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's also diverse for people don't hate gingers. <laughs> Where they're yeah. actually worthy of love. Right. Aww. It's true. It's okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> So Rand runs back to the end. Oh, no. Makes like, me happy. This just freaks me out. Uh, right. Chapter 41. Old friends and new threats. Um, is a picture of a staff. The Wisdom's beaten staff. Yeah, the Wisdom's <laughs> stick. Beating staff. <laughs> yeah. With which you impart wisdom upon people by and force. So Rand gets back to the end and just spills this whole story of what just happened to him with the, the queen and the daughter heir and whatnot. And the innkeeper thinks he's joking at first. Loyal. Yeah, he's Cause, like... Because, like, come on. He's I mean, like, really? You just went out and met the daughter heir and then just came right back here? <laughs> and uh, Lan- and Rand's like, yeah, you know? That, yeah, that's what yeah, happened. That's, that's kind of what happened. And Loyal's like, Taverin. That's what he's talking about. This the this is... The the pattern is using him to bend other people's threads. So, so just crazy stuff's just going to happen to him. Which explains a lot of what's happened to Rand so far. Yeah, it's, it's a really convenient plot device to allow really unrealistic things to happen. Like, I really like it. Huge coincidences. It's, it's kind of lampshading, you know, like pointing out how un, unbelievable this guy's story is, but, you know, it's the pattern. It kind of kind of makes sense. The pattern weaves as the pattern wills. It's interesting to see what's going to happen, you know? And Loyal's like, come on, come on, I have to go with you. <laughs> right, he's like, I cannot miss this. Yeah, and Master Gill's like, well, I guess I'll help you escape Elida now. Uh because Master Gill is a really good friend to this this outlander that he just met. He's crazily nice. Like he's like he's he could have some serious trouble as a result of this. I mean, yeah. like Elida's not someone you want to get the wrong side of. Mm-hmm. And he's all doing this out of royalty to Tom, which makes mm-hmm. me wonder. I mean, Tom must have given him some sort of crazy help mm-hmm. in the past, or they were lovers. They could have been yeah, lovers. Been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gil's about to get Rand to help Rand escape, but a bunch of white cloaks show up and hassle him. And the white cloaks are looking for a boy from the two rivers. Why? How, how do the, I? I couldn't figure out why the white cloaks know who they are specifically. Why white cloaks they, in Camelin would know well, to look for these guys? You notice specifically they're not looking for two boys. They're looking for a boy. They're looking for parent. Oh, because these are the remember the white cloaks were going to Camelin. Oh, okay. So these are the same. Okay, that makes me feel better because yeah, the and time, they, it was a timeline problem. Yeah, and they were they were like we're we're searching you know we're searching every end and we're gonna find this boy from the two rivers, uh, which Master Gill happens to protect Rand again at the risk of his life and property again. 
Uh, but these guys are not actually looking for random at. Yeah, they're 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 like we're, they basically say we're gonna burn your inn down, and he's like, go ahead and do it then. <laughs> yeah, well, because he's got there all this rowdy stuff in the city with these political factions. He's got guards, several guards stationed, yeah. and it becomes really useful because uh, he stands down these white cloaks in, in who are just standing in his inn threatening him, and uh, and the, everybody's sort of studiously ignoring this this situation and trying not to catch their gaze until. They dis Queen Morgays, yep. and and everybody in the inn like they scrape their chairs scrape as they stand up, they stare at them, and all the guards that that uh, that Master Gill has are like like pull out their swords. Totally didn't read the room on that one. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> gotta be not. careful, white cloaks. So you see a room full of red red uh, red people. Yeah, don't assault Queen Morgays, yep. and uh, yeah, just it totally intimidates them and backs them down. So yeah, so that's that's really cool. So everybody backs up Gill, and Gill faces off the white cloaks. He's not too worried, though, because I guess he's got these these hired goons working around the clock. I don't know. I mean, like... Including Languin, who's written really cool for some reason. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, the side character who's just like a, a super badass, you know? He's yeah, just... he stretches like a cat, and he's totally, like, his eyes are slitted, but you could tell he's watching everything that's going on. Yeah, he's a bigger guy, but he moves with cat-like reflexes. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. If Lan had just been a hired goon, this is what he would have been. Languin. Uh-oh. Oh. Yeah, they have almost Lam, the same name. Lan Gwyn, Lan. No, it's got to be one. <laughs> it's the same guy. Yeah, yeah there's another weird. I'm <laughs> just imagining Lan with like fake mustache. <laughs> no, no, my name's Lan Gwyn. Lan Gwyn. Yeah, he's just moonlighting as a tavern guard. You got to make that money somehow. And there's another weird inter- interaction with Lan Gwyn, by the way, around cats. Apparently, the he likes yeah. cats. There are some like guys in white uh, rest or. Not necessarily white cloaks, but uh, white white uh, partisans, I guess. White partisans. Yeah, the the people uh, who wear the white. Yeah, what are they called partards or something. They I don't know. There's a weird word they have for the ribbon things that they're wearing. Oh, what is it? I can't remember what it is. Cockades. Uh, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's a feather in your hat. Oh, it's a a ribbon apparently. It's is a, it? Yeah, okay. it's a little ribbon florets or something. Okay. Yeah. Great. I had to look it up because I was like. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, these, these two guys hanging out outside the inn for some reason, and they try they're to steal the, the cat. Yeah. They're watching the inn because they're just mad at all these, these red partisans. I guess they know that, I guess it's known that the Queen's Blessing is a place that, you know, yeah. Queen supporters hang out. And they so. try to steal the cat one, at one point for some reason. Probably to sell it to yeah, they, they, they said they're worth money because of the rat problem. Okay, I thought that after the cat scene in the palace, I was like, what is going on with these cats? Every, everybody's dealing with cats. I feel like Robert Jordan is like trying to write the cats in after the fact. He's like, oh yeah, this cat's everywhere. Just yeah, maybe that's it. Forgot. But, uh, but luckily Languin uh, protected the cat and then punched it out with those guys and doesn't even think it's a big deal because he's super cool. And they're just hanging out across the street sulking now. <laughs> yeah, right? That seemed a little weird. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, as this is all, uh, after the, the white cloak thing goes down, a uh, serving lady comes in and says, there's a lady in the kitchens asking after Rand and Matt. And uh, Master Gill says, it's not the daughter heir of Andor, is it? <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, nice one. He's nice being idea. a little sarcastic. I mean, no, I mean, like, after all this happening, I mean, like, I think that's a reasonable thing to, to wonder. Yeah, right? Well, that's that's what Rand assumes, right? At first, like, you know, who else is the lady that's going to be asking for him? But then he figures it out. Uh, and he rushes to the kitchen, and it's all his friends. It's Aww. great. It's so Yay. nice. After all this stress and all these uh, boring traveling chapters that Rand has had. Finally, yeah. Finally, yeah. the clock it, move forward. It's so sweet, even though I have to point out it takes literally less than three pages for Egwene and Rand to start, get at it again. Do they? I didn't even notice yeah. that. Yeah. Because she asks him, she's touching... <laughs> 
Egwene touches Rand's sword, fingering the red wrappings. What does it mean? And he kind of brushes her off, and she gives him a look. <laughs> yeah, I, I lay that one on Rand, because he could just tell her it's politics. Sure. City politics. Sure. The end. Yeah, but he doesn't want to talk about it. I just, I'm just making the point, less than three pages, worst couple ever. Why do they like each other at it's all? True. Yeah, they fight, like, all the time. Yeah. yeah. And not the cute kind of fighting, the annoying kind of fighting. <laughs> it's true. But they're, they're all there. Moraine is there. Lan is there. Egwene is there. Perrin is there. All the people that he was worried were Nynaeve dead. Nynaeve is there. Is she there? I didn't write yeah, that. Yeah, Nynaeve is there, too. give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nynaeve is there. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. They all hug. They all thought each other was dead. Uh, Master Gill. They're all staying, and they all decide to stay at the end together. Yeah. They should have a party. All they need is some music. Oh, they're not all there. That's right. They're missing someone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, like, we could use some reunion music. <laughs> some reunion juggling. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so Master Gill is very surprised to have an Aes Sedai in his uh, inn, and he's very uncomfortable with it, and he's like, it's interesting because... Rand and Matt have been kind of assuming that they would go to Elida for help because they because they're the Moraine is an Aes Sedai and she's helping them, uh, and Gil kind of thinks the same thing. Well, you'll be staying with Elida, right? And Moraine's like, nope. In fact, don't even tell her I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably better to fly under the radar. Yeah. So yeah, they clearly Moraine and Elida aren't necessarily right. allied. Yeah, we're getting a feel for like how the Aes Sedai work. There's definitely a lot of currents, a lot factions. of treachery. Yeah, factions. That's good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they're all there, except Tom. And let's mm-hmm. see. And we find out that, and they tell, and uh, Rand tells everybody that Matt is upstairs and he's sick. Yeah, yeah. he's not feeling well. Yeah. Sick, exactly. So just, they all troop up. Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, you'll see. He's like, he, I guess he doesn't have the word asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he's come down with a bad case of asshole, I <laughs> Right, yeah. Super dick faces. So they go up to see Matt, who's, of course, acting super sinister and, like, sweating and feverish and... And he walks in, he's like, look who's here. And he's like, it's not really them, they just look like them. Are you really you? You just look like you. And Rand's like, what the fuck? And he gets really gross and personal about Nynaeve, He does. He, like, he like lays a diss track on, on Nynaeve, yeah. For being pretty. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're so pretty. And you, you don't, yeah, it's always bothered you to be so pretty. But not now, right? You're like, I'm being pretty now or something. Like, and then he goes to Egwene and says the same thing. You're yeah, pretty right. too, just like Nynaeve. Like, yeah, but now you guys have something else in common, right? Like, and I think he's talking about them channeling, but it's... I couldn't tell, yeah. He's being really mean. Yeah, he is. Like, personal. Like, he's using the things he knows that are personal about them to be mean to them. This felt a little bit like a, like a scene from The Exorcist, where he's just like... Oh, yeah. He's, like, on the bed, he's like, ah! You know, like, being crazy and, like, spitting at people and yeah. stuff. And yeah. yeah, but then Moraine gets there, and she's like, get the hell away from him, because he'll say mean things about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hisses. She, 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 she hisses when she watches oh, yeah, it. She hisses, yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. It says, they're, they're all... Moraine's downstairs or whatever... Um, and they're all upstairs and Matt's being an asshole. And Maureen says, we're safe from the Dark One's eyes for the time being. And then she steps in the room and she sees Matt and she goes, get away from him. <laughs> so that was a very short respite <laughs> right, from yeah. evil. We're okay now. Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, no, negative. Fucking Matt. Yeah, so she immediately sees what it is. She can immediately recognize the, the dagger's taint. And, uh, but and, yeah, it turns out, you know, not surprisingly, Matt's dagger has been the cause of all their trouble because it draws yeah. dark friends and fades from all around. Not only can Aes Sedai <clears throat> tell that it's there, but, but fades and dark friends who are really deep, who are really lost in the shadow can, can sense it. 
So we can, we now understand why every time they went to a village, a dark friend would show up. Yeah, I, it was I like thought calling that was, them. Like, it was weird at the time. I was like, are there just dark friends in every freaking village? It's like one out of every three people in this world, dark friends. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's like, yeah. I think she says something like, like iron filings to a magnet or something like that. Yeah, which explains it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and and Rand is like, well, yeah, we did meet a whole lot of dark friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we just thought that was normal. And he's acting, Matt's acting like a rabid animal. He just keeps trying to attack Moraine. Yeah, she, she goes up to him and he tries to, to get her with the dagger, with the ruby-hilted dagger that he never lets go of. And, and it's the second awesome land moment. <laughs> because Magically he, appears. Yeah, he, he goes from the doorway to by the bed and catches his wrist. Well, like he teleported, like without even bothering with the space in between, because he's so fast. <laughs> he doesn't even know, need to do the filler frames, because he's so badass. No. Uh, and he like holds Rand, oh, he holds Matt's hand, and Matt is like straining with all his muscles, but but Land just holds him like a rock because he's so strong. He's so strong. He doesn't even seem to be showing the strain. <laughs> yeah, and Moraine is like doesn't even uh, it doesn't even occur to her. She doesn't even flinch. She doesn't even think that. That Matt is going to get her with this dagger because she knows Lan will teleport in and catch her. <laughs> That's right. And he's totally beyond reason at this point. He's just animalistic. Yeah, they can't even talk to him. He's like mm-hmm. he's baring his teeth. He's snarling and he's just trying to get her with the dagger. Yeah, and he's just staring at her like a snake. Yeah, I, I, he probably recognizes or whatever the evil Shadow Logoth that's in him. Uh, probably recognizes an Aes Sedai because Mordeth really hated Aes Sedai. Oh yeah, remember that's. That's when Mordeth freaked out. Is when they mentioned Aes Sedai. Yeah. Tarbalon, Tarbalon. yeah, yeah. So yeah, they uh, yeah. Moraine says that this is really really bad. Yeah. Not just for Matt, but like wherever he'll go, the suspicion will like poison other people too. So this is like it, it could cause another Shadar Logoth, right? Like that's the yeah. idea. Is that this is like a seed, and like this could destroy the world. Yeah, the and yes. Um. So this is so Matt. The decision Matt made to to just piss off and go exploring the city on his own the evil city is literally the worst decision that anybody has made in this series and maybe the worst decision anybody's made in hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. and Lan even says it looks like you've brought a new Trolloc war to Camelin sheep herder, so his <laughs> shitty <laughs> yeah. decision is gonna yeah. destroy an entire city. Yeah, because Lan is because because the random matter is so easy to track, Lan has seen signs that the Fades are massing Trollocs outside of Camelin, which nobody that's... knows about, but he says there's enough that they're watching all the exits. Yeah, and then like as soon as twelve fists or something like that. Yeah, as soon as which I think as we know is is what uh, over uh, a thousand. Yeah, like a lot. And so the when they have enough, they're going to come into Camelin and burn it down and, and come after them. So here's the question: What if they just killed Matt? Would that end it? Well, I think the dagger is the problem now. Well, That's I don't know. Question. Is it the, is the dagger and Matt together? So they could well, they could kill Matt. Well, we'll find out because what what Moraine does is she she says, "Well, I'm gonna have to try and fix this with my magic," and gets out her Angriol and everything, and uh, and that's the end of the chapter. So we don't know. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, but uh, she, he also might be, for all she knows, he might be the the one that the Dark One's looking for, the the one, the really important one. Yeah. But this could be, I mean, like this could be worse than the Dark One because this dagger could cause, like, could cause the corruption of Camelin, which is one of the you know the biggest cities of humankind, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so that, that but uh, that that might come up, yeah. you know, because Moraine has definitely shown a willingness to destroy them rather than letting the Dark One get them. True. I hope she does. I'm really tired of Matt. Well, I, it's not him, right? It, it's the dagger. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but he took the dagger. Yeah, because he knew. Like she said all the things. She's like, "Did you didn't take anything?" He's like, "Well, I mean." Well, I, no. He didn't give it to me. <laughs> I took it, so it doesn't count. 
Yeah, they were rushed, though. I mean, yeah, sure, he's stupid, right? But they're all stupid. Yeah. Well, I also blame Matt for that incredibly tedious section that we had last time of the traveling, where it was just, I show up in a new town, Matt's an asshole, so they can't, like, stay with anybody who offers help. But, oh, there's another dark friend. Then we go to the next town, repeated a billion times. I blame Matt for that. Yeah, that's a great point. The entire set of chapters that we did on our last episode were entirely Matt's fault. It is, That travel would have gone, like, one chapter, no dark friends. (laughs) Like, they could have stayed in a couple of inns and got... And that would be it. Yeah, yay and I need boom Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew that would bring us to this point? (laughs) Okay, no, no. Nadine still sucks, but Matt is the worst right now. Right now, Matt is the worst. Okay, so, I, you know... I'm still on team Matt. I think it's not his fault. I, well, I mean, the, he didn't. He didn't say like I'm going to take this dagger because I think it'll spread poison to the whole the whole world, and I'm going to make Rand's life shit for the next few months. <laughs> but no, he was but... so stupid. He was warned over and over and over again, and like even if he hadn't been warned, it was a super evil place, and <laughs> it was super obvious he shouldn't take things from a guy named fucking More Death. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of you know bad guys that have really obvious names, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, the wheel wheels. We, wheel weaves is the wheel wheels. Yeah. The wheel weaves of the wheel wheels. That is never going to catch on because that is too hard to say. <laughs> it's really hard to say. It's a lot <laughs> the wheel weaves of the wheel wheels. Uh, all right. Uh, that's it for this episode of, uh, The Dragon Reread. Uh, that was chapters 37 through 41. Next time we're going to cover chapters 42 through 46 of The Eye of the World. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Mike Spartman. If you have any comments, feedback, or questions, please drop us a line at hello at thedragonreread.com and, and please share us with anybody you think will like this podcast and give us good ratings and reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, wherever you got this. Uh, and please like us in real life, uh, not just likeable. on social media. Yeah. yeah, And send us emails at hello at thedragonreread.com about how much you like us. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you <laughs> how much you like us. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to talk about the podcast. You can just talk about us. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until next time. The The light light illumined you. you.